HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Heritage Foods USA, the nation's largest distributor of heritage breed pigs and turkeys. For more information, visit heritagefoodsusa.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Greenhorns Radio, Radio for Young Farmers by Young Farmers, and it is December, and it's uh, winter, a winter in Montana anyway. Um, I am here in sunny Ojai, California, happy to be out of the winter weather um, that's being experienced by men and cattle alike in many places uh, across the country. How's the weather where you are? Well, I'm in West Virginia, and the weather's actually beautiful today. About a 55-degree day, sun shining, and can't complain. You can't complain. Oh, this that was my, like, test because my next guest is from Montana. Um, thank you, Mike. This is Mike Kwasniewski. Kwasniewski. your name. Yep, Mike Kwasniewski. And he is farming in West Virginia. And where it is not Montana, and <laughs> and doing really well. Um, tell me, Mike, a little introduction about your operation. Yeah, so the Charm Farm is a uh, total about 500 acres rented and owned uh, here in the mountains of West Virginia, and I've got several marketing outlets. I've I do a whole diet CSA on the farm, and along with that, I also do some restaurant clients, farmers markets, and retail outlets. Tell me, why do you call it the Charm Farm? Uh, That was not up to me. My sister came up with that name when she was about nine, when it was our little sustenance farm. She's now 33, so it's just... A young girl's preference for uh, rhyming names, I think. But I'm sure it works well as a marketing. (laughs) Kind of sets a standard. I can't really go to market and be grumpy, that's for sure. 
So let's talk a little bit about full, um, full diet CSA. This is um, a growing trend. Um, I live right down the road from Essex Farm, which does a full diet CSA. Tell me, tell me your take on it or, or, or how you sell it or why people do it. Yeah, yeah. So I've, I've been doing the whole diet for a little over a year now, and it's 52 weeks a year. And I do it really as a, uh, I mean, it it's, has so many benefits. And one being that it provides a livable wage for farmers in rural areas. So if I have a limited clientele base, say folks who are interested in local organic uh, pasture-based meats and produce and grains, then I'm I'm looking at a, a clientele of maybe like 50 total max in my area of Elkins and Beverly, which uh, the whole diet is a great intro to them, and my goal is to get it to where it isn't it's no longer extravagant or uh, any kind of. I, I don't want it to be specialized, so I'm I'm working on feeding as many folks local produce and meat as possible, um, and the whole diet is just the way that I can do that. And having that limited clientele base by providing those folks with more product then I can get more money out of them and thus make uh, a better wage for myself. And I don't have to pack everything up and take it to market. And it it keeps things interesting, too. So I'm not, I don't, uh, well, I don't get bored raising only tomatoes or chickens. I mean, it's all-encompassing, but with that is also the, the stress and long days and it's uh, it's a challenge, but it's very much a worthwhile one. And I I actually went to Essex a couple years ago, and it was I say it's a farm tour to end all farm tours. It just made a lot of sense, and uh, I had been doing direct marketing at the time I was up there, and just started the transition to where I would offer a fully encompassing uh, CSA to folks. And so tell me a little about your client base because the, um, the, you know, the thing that always blows people away about Essex is that they are in a really um, very rural, um, very rural, no city nearby uh, environment and selling, you know, this full diet CSA um, to folks uh, kind of against this, the, the, the perceived market trend, which is you can only really do some of these marketing practices if you're near a big city where a lot of people have discretionary income. Tell right, me your, right. um, your, your feelings on that. How did people receive, receive the notion that you were, that you were presenting? Uh, I mean, uh, obviously the folks who are entirely supporting are members, and then I get a lot of community support just uh, from folks who maybe due to travel or something it isn't conducive to them signing up for the year. That's why I have other outlets for my product. And uh, But my my clientele is, uh, I mean, you've got every everything from uh, like musicians to electricians to doctors 
to insurance agents. I mean, it kind of runs the gamut. The the theme, I would say, is that most of them tend to be younger and have uh, small kids. And part of the, the benefit that the the members see is coming out to the farm where whereas they might might not have the the acreage or the time to have a garden or a few chickens they can come out here and kind of by proxy give their kids the the farm experience so on pickup days it's usually i see the parents and the kids are out chasing chickens or something or uh hunting up cows so it's uh and tell just, me, what are the um, what's the environment around around you? What are the other people growing near there? What's the kind of history, agricultural history um, of your part of West Virginia? Yeah, so West Virginia has a long history of small sustenance farms. We don't really have much in the lines of uh, an active agricultural community. Most folks here run cow calf operations. On weekends, uh, there's, I'd say, 10 to 20 times more acreage that's just brush hogged once a year than is actually plowed up and planted into anything. And, uh, yeah, I mean, there there isn't a lot of infrastructure. There's I've got a, a couple grower friends in the neighboring counties, uh, but it's everyone's kind of on the same page as, uh, you got to vertically integrate as much as you can on your own farm and also uh, kind of make do with uh, the limited resources you have. And uh, it's kind of a big trip up to central PA or the Shenandoah Valley if you're going to produce supply or produce equipment or anything in that regard. Even uh, I do field crops as well, and there's... Uh, Two other growers in my county, one grower that does a, a sizable acreage of corn, but that support is, it, I mean, it's its mostly limiting geographically. I think the main reason is that the farms are so small and they're always interrupted by creeks and ridges and woodlots that it was never really conducive to combining and buying up your neighbor's farm and uh, farming a big spread and doing monoculture and all. So we lost a lot of dairy farms. We actually lost, uh, yeah, a dairy farm this year. So we're down to one dairy farm in the county, but there used to be several in uh, 8 to 10 in the 80s, and then the buyout, the government buyout took out a lot of them. And it's just, uh, it's, it was once an agricultural community. I wouldn't say it is now, but the community as a whole responds very well to agricultural endeavors. So I think there's certainly potential for uh, expanded production and uh, more farmers in the region. Yeah, more farmers in the region. Yeah, land's cheap. That's that's the one thing we've got going for us down here. Wait, sorry, I think you just say that again really loudly. What's that? Say that again. What is it? <laughs> land is cheap and there's plenty available. Yeah, we're uh, we're always looking for more producers and uh, trying.
trying to expand the market uh, in the state and actually uh, looking into surrounding states eventually. I do some work with the West Virginia Food and Farmers Food and Farm Coalition, and uh, they're really working as a catalyst to uh, do all those things. I've just been talking about increase the number of farmers, increase production, local consumption, uh, connect farmers with land, uh, get food in schools. So pretty much any uh, kind of cutting-edge uh, venture in the sustainable ag community, the coalition's been a big help on. And, uh, yeah, they're kind of the, the PR for small farms the PR firm for small farms in the state. Well, Lord knows it's helpful. So the thing I wanted to know was, sorry, that's a diesel. Um, sorry, there's a diesel truck. The thing I wanted to know was, how do you, um, how do you square farming in with your philosophy background, and what is your philosophy of farming now? Uh, well, yeah, so I studied philosophy as an undergrad at Gonzaga, and being out in Washington State helped me kind of get a get a handle on what local food, healthy local food economies really look like. And I was on the eastern side of the state when it was uh, really gaining momentum. I mean, the city of Spokane went from one farmer's market to, I think, four or five by the time I left. And... Uh, yeah, so, I mean, that was kind of my, maybe, uh, that was my extracurricular education was working on farms and being involved in that food scene. And then when I told folks that I was coming back to farm full-time, they it's always a joke. I'm like, yeah, you need something to talk about when, or think about when you're sitting on the tractor. But really, I'm mostly thinking about what else needs to be done. I don't, I don't uh, have time to flesh out of the existential problems that may be facing uh, facing us. Or Do you know any other philosophy majors who are farming? Uh, I think so. I don't. Well, no, not personally. That's that's one. I I think it is one uh, in the in the vein of a good liberal arts education. I don't think too many philosophy majors do that to. Uh, kind of bolster their resumes and their career seeking. I think they're I'm not But I guess there aren't that many professional people. philosophers either. What was that? I well I just was wondering if there's any like professional philosophers. Uh they are, but they don't get out of school until they're like thirty five and uh yeah, I I think they're I think that title would mostly be uh, prof- professional philosophers would probably claim writers before they claimed philosophers. That's kind of a, I feel like that's a legacy term. I don't know, maybe not. But I, I certainly don't uh, proclaim to be a philosopher by profession. It does teach one how to think critically and to constantly reevaluate systems and uh mechanisms and styles so that's um that's a that's a facet of my education that's come in quite handy uh 
while I carve out my career on the farm here. Well, so let's get a little philosophical about this full full uh, full diet CSA and the implications that it has in terms of your kind of mental condition as a farmer and um, as a restorative impact that it has on the land, doing you know a greater diversity of things. Just like play that out a little bit for us. Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> let's see. So I'd I'd have to. Uh, harken back to some phenomenological roots where really the most you find the truth or the most honest sense of a thing at its core, at its base. When you look at it from each perspective, it has a different, you're, you're viewing it differently from each angle you take at it. And I think if a person is capable of viewing all sides and being able to act on that vision, then I think that uh, you can have a better sense of that wholeness that you're you're striving for, and that leads me into a farm where it's it's much easier to conceive of a fully uh, kind of manifested livestock plant. Uh, operation, fully cyclical, kind of in the biodynamic realm, that doesn't leave any gaps. Like, it feels, and that, it's pretty much, the the test is when you sit down to dinner or sit down at breakfast, you could look at your plate as a little pie chart. And if uh, there's any gaps in there, well... I I do acknowledge a few gaps, like olive oil. Yes, that's going to be a gap on that plate that I'm not producing. But I try to try to approach the farm and the way we eat as as one unit, not as uh, not as kind of a scattered like take it as you as you're moving along the way approach. Not not a not a glance to the left, but more of a constant gaze and under under your focus and critique. If that makes any sense, I and I maybe that answers your question, Severin. <laughs> well, it makes a lot of sense, and you know we don't have olive oil, but do you have lard? I do. <laughs> yes. There you go. We get lard. Lard saves us. You can add that to fill your philosophy. There you go. There you go. Although I haven't, I haven't quite gotten folks to take on uh, lard salad dressings. The, oh. the the biscuits and pie crusts and all have have gone well in the sauteing, but. Well, the, so so the, I guess the first for salad dressings, you know, it's all about sunflower oil. Yeah. <laughs> I, you can grow I, salad. I a, you can grow. You can grow sunflowers, right? Yeah, I, I did a trial. Uh, I guess it was two years ago now, but they're they're kind of hard to cultivate. And uh, but that I mean that gets back to the lack of the agri- agricultural support economy in the state. Like it's 
it's such a whole nother can of worms once you get into like, oil processing or even like grain processing, which I'm working on now is so, I mean, there's a reason towns had millers. The only reason I want to do it is because no one else in the area is interested in milling grain anytime soon. And if I want it done, it's one of those things that you just kind of have to do yourself. And maybe if folks down the road realize that there's a demand, they'll they'll take over and specialize in that. But in the meantime, without that kind of uh, infrastructure already in place, uh, I, I'm a little reluctant to take on any new ventures like expelling seed oils. Although I, I did uh, talk to a farmer in Oregon who was doing it with safflower, and he seemed to seemed to have great success. Well, I, I just want to make sure to get a little more explicit on this topic just for one second because I just come from the Bay Area, mm-hmm. and I just felt like everywhere I went there was a flyer or a tweet or a announcement about, you know, investing in the food system and, you know, um, and an accelerator for food technology and innovation and process, you know, and this this app and that app and, like, all this energy to be involved in, um, you know, food, food and farm system reform. And so much of it, frustratingly, in my opinion, focused on the last, you know, this, like, the last step of getting the farm to the customer or... Uh, getting the food to the customer, and I just thought, wow, we how do we reach re- reframe this conversation uh, to inspire that capital to enter in to all these wonderful small towns that have cheap land around them, where there's empty cheap real estate. Most much of that real estate even already was oriented towards agricultural processing and milling and bean cleaning and sorting and elevators and all this very important. Uh, work to be done to re reignite that value chain. Um, yeah, I mean, do you have any ideas? How what kind of language should we be using to inspire that capital and and those you know and investors and people who have interest to be you know uh, part of the food system? I mean, honestly, Severin, all we're lacking in West Virginia are enough individuals who have the gumption to focus like to grow wheat or to mill it or to smoke hams. Like, we're pretty much set up. Uh, we've got, we even have a group called the Value Chain Cluster, which just tries, it It props up and uh, supports uh, improvements in the value chain in the state. We've got green business lenders who they can, they can write the business plan and loan you the money. They just don't have individuals who are going to, take over this like strawberry production or produce aggregation it's pretty much a, a it comes down to manpower or woman power issue and uh we're we're grossly deficient in uh young farmers and young meat cutters and just about all that here in the state so if if i can uh, stand on the pulpit, I would extend a uh, welcoming hand and an open invitation to our state because it is quite beautiful and uh, we do need we do need more producers, especially for farm to school initiatives that are uh, coming down the line. 
Well, this is it. Next time somebody asks me what they can do or where they should invest or anything, I just say, well, first of all, leave Brooklyn, leave <laughs> San Francisco, <laughs> and bring yeah. your ambition to West Virginia. Yeah, which, I mean, there are little yeah. towns in West Virginia that do feel like satellites of Brooklyn, but that's, uh, I guess you get that everywhere. And, uh, but yeah, that, that's a good start, I think. Repopulate the rural areas. Must be a little stifling in Brooklyn there. On yeah, especially a little state that meet, that you can really meet everybody and know know about stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's pretty great because the uh, the small farm, well, the farming community in West Virginia is pretty much like a small town. Uh, it's like you get. Uh, you cross paths with every type of farmer in the state. We have a lot of uh, conventional poultry producers, and you run into them because they might do uh, something else on the side. They might sell mattresses or might be a state delegate. And then, uh, I mean, most farmers here are pulling two full-time jobs, but it's especially in produce. If you focus and really uh, work on establishing some markets and filling some markets that are already here, it's pretty easy to make a living. Not Well, and one thing I noticed just from going down there, um, the Wolperdingers, they were in my movie, Yeah. and yeah. I spent some time traveling around. I just noticed everything is a lot cheaper in West Virginia. Like, the cost <laughs> of living must be a lot Including lower. Including whole diet CSAs, but yes. It's, uh, I don't, I don't think gas and diesel fuel are that much cheaper, but compared to Brooklyn, I'm sure it is. And I know cigarettes are like four something a pack and not like $12. So if there's any old Wendelberry tobacco lover, uh, aspiring farmers, then they can save some money by moving to West Virginia. Yeah, we haven't seen the breakout move yet in the organic local cigarette department. I think there's a regulatory. <laughs> I think uh, American Spirit might have the the monopoly on that market. Yeah, I have to do research, but my 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 so far what I've heard is you got to be registered with the state. Yeah. I don't know. So we'll, we'll <laughs> you can grow it for your own use. That's to be done. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that would be awesome. You can imagine like a CSA, cigarette CSA. All right, we're getting <laughs> off topic here, and we're running out of time. Okay. Um, what else is What else is What else is bubbling? Like, what do you need What do you need to express about either from a frustration or from a profound positive insight perspective? As you're, uh, you know, you're taking on this new. Um, mode of a highly diversified farm. It's going good. You move to your hometown. You're, you're philosophical, but also practical. What do you need yeah, to share? Try to, try to keep things balanced. Um, I mean, I, I guess I've already made it clear that the potential in rural America is quite apparent. The one shift that uh, folks have to make is that I mean, fun stuff and things aren't generally presented to you. It, you just have to take a little initiative and organize them. So 
we might not have any clubs here to go out to or really happen in bars, but if you organize a potluck or a square dance, you're going to get a pretty darn good turnout. And that's a, that's pretty good incentive, I think, knowing that there is a, a social scene. But also, uh, I mean, just the... I uh, found that in farming, and I've this is about the third full year going at it, um, it's, I mean... There's always a sharp learning curve, but there's always next year too. So that's that's always this is a pretty exciting time of year because it's you sit down, pencil out what went well, what you could have done better, um, start planning for next year. Really feel like you've got everything organized and ready to go, uh, and you can hit the ground running. I didn't get as much fall plowing done as I would have liked, but. Uh, it might it might still dry out here this month. We'll see. And I mean, I think that's those are all exciting things. I people always want to talk about what I'm doing on the farm and all that. So I guess if I have my own platform, I generally steer away from that just because it's a tiresome topic after so long. But I am very much interested in reinvigorating uh, my beloved home state and uh, building the local economies, and I think the best route to do that is through dinner plates and, uh, yeah, lunch tables. Well, it is it is the bottom. We, we may as well start building the new economy from the bottom. Yeah, and West Virginia is in a transitional period where I don't think coal and that's not going to be play be playing as prominent of a role in our economy. So I think we need to start planning a transition. And uh, tourism's been touted upon, but I think it's kind of reached its uh, its capacity. And I think if we can shift some of that energy into agriculture, then we can fill a little bit of that coal void that's looming with small farms and quality produce and meat. Go, West Virginia, go. I look forward to coming down to some time soon. Are you going to go to the SOG conference or any other conferences that you want to tell people about so they can register if they're so inspired to leave Brooklyn immediately and move to West Virginia? <laughs> Uh, let's see. So the Small Farms Conference, the West Virginia Small Farms Conference is in Morgantown, um, which is our university town. That is, I want to say, like the 2nd to the 5th or something in February. It's early February sometime there. And there's, uh, I mean, it's in the vein of PASA conferences and all, um, which, Do you guys have any young farmer coalitions or meetup groups or potluck posses? Yeah, so with the Food and Farm Coalition, we always do uh, like a young farmer winter mixer kind of thing. Um, and we get folks from all around the state. It's pretty much just, uh, well, the first year we tried to, like, all right, what issues are of importance and we're going to hash these out and all sit around the table, but... We've really just 
relaxed at tour. It's like, hey, we need more more excuses to just get together and eat good food and drink good beer and uh, talk, whether it be about farming or politics or whatever comes up in general conversation. Yeah, I think that's something they call culture. Yeah, yeah. You just got to add the <laughs> agra. culture. <laughs> All right, well, I'm going to get in trouble because we re- we're running out of time. But I um, thank you very much for coming on the show, Mike, and uh, can't wait to hear of your progress. Consider, well, thank you much, Consider Severin. contributing an essay to the um, 2015 New Farmers Almanac on your experience uh, as a philosopher land manager of a, of a full-season CSA. That could be <laughs> a good trick going. I want to hear more. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, uh, yeah, have a good rest of the show, and it's been a pleasure being on. Okay, bye-bye. Bye now. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>